Well, today is not the Feast of the Transfiguration, just to make it confusing. The Feast of the Transfiguration is August 6th. Why are we listening to the Transfiguration today? Well, today is the last Sunday after the Epiphany. And if you remember from the season, those Sundays after Epiphany, each Sunday gives us a little glimpse into the nature and identity and mission of Jesus. So the sort of crowning achievement of that whole um, sequence of, of lessons comes on Epiphany, comes on the last Sunday after Epiphany, where we see this glimpse of the glory of God radiating from the person of Jesus. It's also the Sunday immediately prior to the season of Lent, a time when we prepare for uh, the passion and death of Jesus by a, seri- a, a season of uh, penitence and reflection on our own sinfulness and mortality. The lesson today brings both of these themes together. It's a sort of perfect hinge between these two seasons. It gives us a glimpse of the glory in light of the suffering to come. Well, your translation today begins by six days later after Peter, and then it fills in after Peter confessed Jesus, very helpfully adding some details there, but the passage itself just begins six days later. And you're supposed to recall what happened immediately prior to this passage, which is the same in all three synoptic gospels. The sequence is the same, and the order is important. Peter confesses Jesus as the Messiah on Caesarea Philippi, um, and he's congratulated for finally getting the right answer. And then immediately Jesus says, Now we're on our way to Jerusalem, where the Son of Man, where he will suffer and die. And you remember Peter's response to that is, I don't think so. You know, you got it wrong there, Jesus. So Jesus teaches about not only his upcoming suffering, but also that the life of discipleship itself is a taking up of your cross. It's a life of suffering, following Jesus in the way of the cross. And then after that teaching, we have the transfiguration. So it's the confession, the teaching about suffering, and then the transfiguration. And one of the reasons that that is certainly, that the sequence is important, is that it's a way of shoring up people's confidence, the disciples' confidence, in Jesus' teaching about the true nature of the Messiah. You have to imagine what a shock this would have been for the disciples to hear Jesus talking about his upcoming, to to hear this confession that he is the one that we've been waiting for, the promised Messiah, and then immediately he starts talking about suffering and dying. It's completely unexpected, a a turn in the road that no one was expecting. Um, On another level, the six days later recalls the passage from the Old Testament, which we heard today from Exodus, uh, where Moses received the law on Mount Sinai. If you were paying especially close attention, you'll probably remember it said, the cloud covered the mountain for six days, and on the seventh day, the voice of God spoke to Moses from the cloud. In a similar way, we're supposed to see the same thing happening now. Six days later, Jesus goes up on the mountain and the voice comes uh, from the cloud. Just like Moses, Jesus ascends the mountain. He takes his inner circle of disciples, James and John and Peter, Um, And, of course, the epistle reading ties us together. Peter is recollecting the event that he saw on this mountain. 
And when, he, when they're up on the top of this mountain, Jesus is transfigured before them, which is a way of saying not just, it wasn't for his own benefit that he was transfigured, but it was for the benefit of his disciples, for what they got out of the event, for what, they, what was revealed on that mountain to them. And as a result, through them, for our benefit as well. So what is this message? What is conveyed through this, uh, through this, this event? It all comes in the heavenly voice, and the voice is saying two things. First of all, this is my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. And this is precisely the same confession that God made over Jesus at his baptism. Identical wording, and at the time, what it was supposed to mean over, the, over his baptism is, yes, this is the anointed Messiah. This is the one who was to come. It was a way of affirming Jesus' identity as God's unique son. Why is this repeated here on the Mount of Transfiguration? Well, it's repeated because it comes right after the Passion Prediction, where the disciples are probably thinking to themselves, maybe he's not the one we thought he was. Maybe he's gone off track a little bit. And it's a, re- a way of re-emphasizing this is the Messiah. This is the one who has come. And he is not derailing the plans, but he is right on track. Um, it's also um, a way of emphasizing one of the major themes of both the New Testament uh, and the scriptures large, in a larger sense, that suffering is the path to glory. Uh, just like the word spoken over Jesus at his baptism was meant for us. Um, we just had a baptism last night, and whenever that happens, it's such a joyous experience for the, for the individual who is being welcomed into the household of God, but also for all of us as we remember that those words that are spoken over Jesus at his baptism, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased, that is the, the, vo- that is the promise for each of us. That's the declaration over each of us, that we are God's beloved children um, in whom he finds great delight. Uh, in the same way, the words spoken at the transfiguration were, are also a promise for us. We are promised to share in his glory, which is a great thing, but suffering is the path to glory, so we are also promised a share in his suffering. And this path through suffering to glory starts even now and only ends when we shall be like him, recovering that image, that image of God, which we have been, which has been marred through sin. The second thing that God says the voice from heaven, is listen to him. This is the new, the new addition to this passage. And there's a lot going on in that short phrase. Um, it's another way of emphasizing that Jesus is, can teach authoritatively on the topic of the, what the Messiah has come to do. Um, so just like um, Jesus said, the Son of Man has come to give his life as a ransom for many, he's saying what he's saying is authoritative. It also recalls a passage in the Old Testament, which we didn't read this morning, where God looked forward to another prophet like Moses, who would come during the time of the Messiah. And this prophet is the one to whom the people would heed, would would heed their warnings, would listen to. And whenever you hear that word in Scripture, when it says, hear what God says, or listen to the voice of God, listen to Jesus, you always have to remember it means listen and obey. It always includes the obedience in there. 
It's like the parent who's wagging their finger. Did you hear what I said? It's that kind of hear, you know. If you hear it, you put it into practice. So this is the promised prophet like Moses. That's one of the ways this is, uh, this is one of the things this is recalling, that phrase, listen to him. And finally, it's a way of stressing not only Jesus' teaching about his own role in suffering and death, and also the, the, the life of discipleship as a life of suffering, but also um, his larger teaching authority, his authority to teach on whatever he wants to teach on. Um, you'll notice that the scene is set with Moses and Elijah there, um, the law and the prophets, if you will. And taking, Jesus is taking the witness of the law and the prophets, um, he is uh, in continuity with them. They are talking about his upcoming uh, departures, uh, upcoming ex- exodus. Uh, but he's also revealing its d- the deeper um, purpose and fulfillment in those Old Testament scriptures and how that fulfillment is taking place in new and surprising ways. Um, notice how he's even elevated over these two giants of Old Testament history. Um, when, when the disciples see Jesus with Moses and Elijah and the voice comes from heaven, they are immediately cast their face down and fall to the ground. And when they look up, who do they see? Jesus alone. So the voice says, listen to him, and they look up, and all they see is Jesus. Moses and Elijah have, have gone into the background. Um, in other words, Jesus speaks authoritatively as God and for God. Um, it always reminds me, this scene always reminds me of this, the, the way the letter to the Hebrews begins. It's this beautiful beginning. I'm going to read the first, verse, first couple of verses. In many and various ways, God spoke of, of old to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by a son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He reflects the glory of God and bears the very stamp of his nature, upholding the universe by the word of his power. Why don't we start letters like that anymore? That's a great start. Um, it's kind of like watching, what's going on here with the disciples is it's kind of like watching a movie that you've seen over and over again on an old black and white TV. And then suddenly you see the same story in full, vibrant color on a high-definition television. All of a sudden you see everything in a new light. And one of the shocking twists that you see in the story is that God suffers with us and for us. This event not only looks back to the passion prediction, but of course looks forward to the passion which it predicts. And if the shock of the disciples was great when Jesus predicted his coming and then the the glory on the Mount of Transfiguration, how much more seeing the very glory of God emanating from this individual, from Jesus, and then just a short while later seeing Jesus suffering and dying. It's such a striking contrast, and it's meant to be seen together. There is one scholar who, who sets up the contrast this way. In one event, a private epiphany, an exalted Jesus with garments glistening, stands on a high mountain and is flanked by two religious giants from the past. All is light. In the other, a public spectacle, a humiliated Jesus, whose clothes have been torn from him and divided, is lifted upon a cross 
and flanked by two common convicted criminals. All is darkness. In other words, in the story of Jesus, these two are brought together. Suffering is the path to glory. And as we look to Jesus, as we listen to him, as we follow him in the way of the cross, like Moses on Mount Sinai, we begin to reflect his glory. The Christian life is about becoming what we are in Christ. Remember, the promise at, the, at your baptism is, you are my beloved child, with you I am well pleased. And then the rest of our Christian life is a working out of that promise as we become more and more like the image of God's Son. So that becomes more and more true of us every day of our lives, hopefully. That's, the, that's why the Apostle Paul can say, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being changed, same word as Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration, are being changed into his likeness from one degree of glory to another. This comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So how do we do this? Well, we do this by listening to Jesus, by heeding his voice. We are destined for glory in Christ, but we don't sit back and wait. We become what we are in Christ. As the apostle says in another place, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. As we make our way through the season of Lent and Holy Week, we too will see his glory made perfect in suffering. When we do, may God grant us the grace to heed his call and follow.